0: Welcome back once again to the Counter Vortex with your ranter, Bill Weinberg, ranting at you from my apartment on Manhattan's Lower East Side on the evening of April 7th, 2023. And in this episode, we're going to be looking at a suddenly booming global phenomenon, which is definitely not a good sign. Paramilitarism. The official military or armed forces of a given state or its repressive apparatus seeking an extension in the private sector or in citizen militias or irregular forces, a method generally resorted to when state power is in crisis and contributing to a general militarization of society. One manifestation of this that has been getting all the attention in the media at the moment is the Wagner Group. You may have noticed that the uh, cafe in St. Petersburg, where the Russian war blogger was speaking when he was assassinated this week, was owned by Yevgeny Prigozin, leader of the Wagner Group, private military company, which is taking over an uh, ever-larger role in the Russian war effort in Ukraine, currently leading the assault on the town of Bakhmut with an army of mercenaries, seemingly mostly conscripted from the Russian prisons. What you may not have noticed is that Russian President Vladimir Putin, on March 18th, Signed a law forbidding the spread of false information, quote, unquote, about volunteer forces, quote, unquote, fighting in the service of Russia. The law is clearly meant to prevent public criticism of paramilitary groups and private military companies currently operating in Ukraine, such as the Wagner Group the law amends Russia's criminal code by making it an offense to knowingly spread false information regarding volunteer formations carrying out tasks assigned to them by the armed forces of the Russian Federation, quote-unquote. Offenders may face a fine of up to 1.5 million rubles, about $20,000, or face a mandatory work term, or imprisonment, of up to five years. The previous version of the criminal code already included prohibitions on the spread of false information regarding the Russian armed forces. So the uh, amendment's language appears to be an implicit acknowledgement by Moscow that the private forces fighting in Ukraine— are, in fact, acting under the direct orders of the Russian military. And this is interesting because the Russian government has previously denied its ties to and control over the Wagner Group and rejected responsibility for the group's actions. The U.S. Treasury Department earlier this year officially designated the Wagner Group a transnational criminal organization imposing further sanctions on the group's financial activities and accusing it of committing atrocities and human rights abuses in Ukraine and elsewhere, especially citing Syria, Libya, the Central African Republic, Burkina Faso, and Mali, where the Wagner group was implicated in a massacre of an estimated 300 civilian men, who had been rounded up at a village just about a year ago, in um, late March of 2022. And interestingly, in these last three countries, Central African Republic, Burkina Faso, and Mali, the Wagner Group came in just as French troops were getting booted. So this represents both Russian imperialism, extending its reach into Africa, and displacing one of the traditional imperial powers on the continent, but also a new model of imperialism based on paramilitarism. Also, in all these three countries, Central African Republic, Burkina Faso, and Mali, the Wagner Group, itself a private entity, appears to be grooming local militias as proxy forces We've already noted the Volunteers for the Defense of the Homeland Militia in Burkina Faso, ostensibly fighting Islamist insurgents, but which has been accused in carrying out massacres and targeted killings of people of the Fulani ethnicity. And apparently it was Fulani who were also targeted in the massacre committed directly by the Wagner Group in Mali a year ago. So throughout the greater West Africa region, it seems that the Fulani people are being stigmatized as terrorists and targeted for state terror or paramilitary terror, a very frightening situation that demands greater attention. Okay, moving east across the Sahel, You may have noticed that the uh, democratic transition in Sudan, the fruit of the pro-democracy movement that has mobilized there since the October 2021 military coup, is in danger of breaking down over the whole question of paramilitarism. This concerns the Rapid Support Forces, RSF, The successor organization to the Janjaweed, if you recall them, the Janjaweed were the irregular, if state-aligned, militia force in Darfur region that carried out the genocide there beginning about 20 years ago, and as a condition of the Darfur Peace Accord of 2006, The Janjaweed were reorganized and brought under a greater degree of state control as the RSF, which is still fighting in Darfur today. The conflict there never really ended, but the RSF has also been fighting in other conflicted regions of the country, such as Kordofan, and has also been involved in repression of pro-democracy protests in Khartoum, the capital. So the pro-democracy movement is now demanding that the RSF be officially disbanded and absorbed directly into the official armed forces, which are to ostensibly come under civilian control. And the RSF, quite predictably, is resisting being integrated into the army. Uh, For the moment, they are bickering about the timeline, whether it's going to be two years for the RSF to be officially absorbed into the armed forces, which is what the army and the pro-democracy forces are demanding, or 10 years, yes, a full decade, as the RSF is demanding. And there is actually talk that it may even come to fighting between the army and the RSF. And in any case, it still hasn't been resolved, even as the new transitional government is supposedly to take power this month. So, definitely one to watch. Okay, moving on from Africa now, you may have noticed that in Burma, or Myanmar, the ruling military junta is resorting to paramilitarism to beat back a pro-democracy armed insurgency that has emerged since the coup of February 2021. Faced with a growing insurgency from regional guerrilla cells integrated into the resistance network, known as the People's Defense Force, the junta has been training its own paramilitary corps made up of conservative Buddhists, Burman ethno-nationalists, and other regime supporters. It's called the Pyu Soti, after a legendary king of the ancient Pagan dynasty. Its strongest base of support is in the Ma Ba Tha or Patriotic Association of Myanmar, which has long been accused of fomenting attacks on Muslims and ethnic minorities. So, uh, Buddhist fascism, interesting that that's a thing. Okay, disturbing news from Ecuador this week. A country which has until recently been largely spared the narco-violence that has engulfed its neighbors Colombia and Peru over the past generations, but now appears to be going over the edge, with crime and violence precipitously rising and having been under a state of emergency for much of the past two years, and now the conservative president Guillermo Lasso, who is currently facing an impeachment process over corruption charges, has just announced he has authorized the carrying and use of firearms by civilians, a first in that country. Calling for citizen self-defense against criminals in coordination with the Ministry of Public Security, which smells ominously like a first step toward the kind of institutionalized paramilitarism that has instated a generations-long reign of terror in Colombia. All right, now let's turn our attention to Israel, where, very hearteningly, there has been a massive and militant, and sustained protest movement going on since the new far-right government of Bibi Netanyahu took power back in December, particularly over his proposed judicial reform, which would give the Knesset, the Israeli parliament where his bloc holds a majority, power to override a decision of the Supreme Court by a majority vote which even the main opposition bloc in the Knesset is saying would effectively instate a dictatorship. Yes, they are actually using that word. And last week, there was a very tentative victory when Bibi announced that he was putting the judicial reform plan on hold for a cooling-off period, basically, not abandoning it, but postponing it. The creepy underside of this tentative victory, however, is that in order to win support for the postponement from his most hardline cabinet member, National Security Minister Itamar Ben Gavir, Bibi agreed to support Ben Gavir's proposal for creation of a new paramilitary force under his command to be called the National Guard, which was just approved by the Cabinet this week. The Israeli Cabinet, on April 2nd, authorized plans for a paramilitary National Guard sought by far-right National Security Minister Itamar ben gvir to target violence and unrest in Palestinian communities within Israel. Prime Minister Netanyahu's office said that a committee comprised of Israel's existing security forces is to determine the Guard's responsibilities and whether it will be subordinate to the Israeli police force or take orders directly from Ben-Gavir, as he is demanding. Opposition leader Yair Lapid responded by calling the plan Uh, quote, extremist fantasy of delusional people, end quote, and slam the decision to cut budgets from other ministries to, quote, fund Ben Gavir's private militia, unquote. And that's Gare Lapid, leader of the main opposition bloc in the Knesset, very much a centrist. I will point out that uh, Ben Gavir was last year cleared by Israel's electoral authorities to stand for public office, despite having been convicted in 2007 of inciting racism with slogans such as, quote, expel the Arab enemy, and quote. He was also convicted of support for a terrorist organization, for his uh, boosterism on behalf of the banned Kach political party founded by the late Meir Kahane, which was outlawed for its open advocacy of massacre of Palestinians. So the notion of Ben-Gavir having his own paramilitary force is, once again, pretty damn terrifying. Thankfully, the protests have continued since BB's postponement of the judicial reform plan, because, once again, the judicial reform has just been put on hold, not abandoned, and the National Guard plan also needs to be opposed just as much. Trading the judicial reform for the National Guard is in progress. It's just kind of a lateral move at best. And in the past days, of course, the violence that began at the Haram al-Sharif, or Temple Mount, in Jerusalem, has escalated to an international level, culminating in Israel launching its biggest missile strikes on Lebanese territory since the 2006 war. Again, very frightening. And yes, the protest movement in Israel, while a very hopeful development, does need to expand its focus, especially now. And I will point out that despite the general single-issue focus on the judicial reform, the demonstrations have included a um, anti-apartheid bloc, as it calls itself, calling for a secular state and decolonization of Palestinian lands, both sides of the green line. This is to be encouraged. Now let's turn our attention to the very ominous developments in um, Texas. Did you happen to catch this one? Vigilantism concerns in Texas immigration bills. Reading from the account on the Counter Vortex website, Human Rights Watch on March 29th criticized two bills before the Texas state legislature that would expand the state's ability to enforce immigration laws, a matter usually left to the U.S. federal government. HRW stated that the dangerous and extreme bills would authorize Texas to deputize state-sponsored vigilantes with little oversight. Their wording Texas State Representative Matt Schaefer introduced HB 20, known as the Border Protection Unit Act, back in March. HB 20 would create a state level immigration enforcement unit whose chief would be authorized to employ U.S. citizens to serve in the unit. Additionally, the bill shields officers and employees of the unit from all civil and criminal liability for actions authorized by the bill. Another bill, HB 7, would create a border protection court, quote unquote, and criminal system that would institutionalize much of Governor Greg Abbott's Operation Lone Star Dragnet, which was launched two years ago, in response to the introduction of these bills, the um, senior advocacy manager for the Beyond Borders program at the Texas Civil Rights Project, Roberto Lopez, stated, "Quote: The new police force and court system would allow state politicians to continue arresting and sentencing some of the most vulnerable people in our society—people seeking refuge from violence, terror, and poverty." with no real oversight. This is a dangerous power grab offering no solution to the humanitarian emergency, end quote. Statistics show that 2.4 million migrants attempted to cross the border from Mexico in 2022. Texas Speaker of the House Dade Phelan, in a statement to the Texas Tribune, was adamant. Quote, addressing our state's border and humanitarian crisis is a must-pass issue for the Texas House this year. Unquote. Yeah. Addressing the humanitarian crisis by unleashing paramilitary vigilantes. Hideously euphemistic language. And there needs to be a lot more attention to what is happening with this legislation in Texas. Because It really has implications for the future of the United States, meaning the immediate future. Contrary to popular belief, Trumpism is not dead. And what is happening in Texas holds the potential for Trumpism to really transform into fascism. Now, Trump is fascist, an assertion I am prepared to defend. But one difference between his rather improvised fascist project and the more methodical power seizures of the era of classical fascism is that unlike Hitler and Mussolini with their brown shirts and black shirts, Trump built no paramilitary movement before taking power. Yet the threat has always existed that right-wing militias may yet be co-opted by his machine. And we saw that start to emerge with the apparently critical role of the oath keepers in the January 6th insurrection. But we might be at the start of something a lot closer to the brown shirts. If Trump regains the White House in 2024, which is, alas, a possibility not to be dismissed, even now that he is facing criminal charges here in New York, maybe even especially now that he is facing criminal charges here in New York, because that gives him more of a cachet with his ultra-reactionary base, and if legislation such as that now pending in Texas advances. And this is a point that really needs to be grappled with by both sides in the whole contentious debate over guns in this country. Okay, Tennessee is very much in the news at the moment with the purge of three lawmakers from the state legislature for their participation in the March for Our Lives event at the state And the um, school walkouts by justifiably angry students that have taken place since the Nashville school massacre of March 29th, but uh, the threat is framed by this movement as the proverbial lone shooter with psychological motivations, which dodges the whole question of root causes and why There are so many people out there with psychological problems. And a related point, dodges the possibility that someone could harness and politically weaponize all of that endemic rage quite evidently out there in American society. And I will note that overwhelmingly, although Nashville seems to have been an exception, but Overwhelmingly, these supposed lone wolves with psychological problems are white guys, and sometimes explicitly motivated by white supremacy and race hate, as in Buffalo on May 14th, 2022, or El Paso on August 3rd, 2019. This problem is not nearly so apolitical as it is popularly portrayed. And for those of you on the other side of the question, you Second Amendment fetishists out there, don't get taken in by the bogus populism of the Second Amendment industry, as it were, who are all about standing up to the man when it's perceived progressives who are in power trying to impose their woke tyranny. Because they could turn around and become an extension of the repressive state apparatus as soon as the tables are turned and their people are in power. Now, I am not here arguing for gun control per se, because... As discussed on our podcast of March 7th, 2018, after the school massacre in Parkland, Florida, that's a very tricky question. And both sides, as it were, are missing some critical points, focusing entirely on the instrument and not the underlying root causes of these serial massacres. The much more difficult, but also much more necessary proposition. But I am arguing for not getting taken in by the bogus populism of the Second Amendment industry, because you could be making the proverbial noose for your own neck. At least if you're really serious about all this freedom jazz, and don't think it just means the freedom of white guys to oppress everyone else— And you know what? Even if you do think that freedom means the freedom of white guys to oppress everyone else, you better watch out. Because the way fascism traditionally works, and yes, that's what we're talking about here fascism, is that the populist militia is employed during the incipient phases of the climb to power, but is ultimately chucked overboard, sometimes with extreme violence, once total state power has been consolidated. Fascism can ultimately be seen as a mechanism by which an established class order rides out a period of crisis. Often, and this is the part that many who use the word sloppily or propagandistically don't get, by appropriating a populist posture especially in its incipient phases. And now the entire world order is headed vertiginously into crisis on multiple levels, social, cultural, economic, ecological, which is why fascist or fascistic movements are now seen nearly all over the world. And I even worry about anti-fascism itself getting co-opted by fascism. Antifa getting taken in by fa, so to speak, with fascist pseudo-anti-fascism seen most blatantly in Vladimir Putin dressing up his fascist aggression in Ukraine. And yes, that's what it is, in anti Nazi World War II nostalgist garb. And it is urgently important that we have some clarity about this at this extremely dangerous moment for humanity. And if you don't know what happened to the brown shirts, I suggest you Google Night of the Long Knives. For those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, I leave you to that homework assignment. Oh, and. uh. You have Jenny Purgosin. You might want to Google that one, too. Just saying. This has been Bill Weinberg with the Counter Vortex. Check us out online at countervortex.org, where everything I've been ranting about tonight is all blogged up, hyperlinked, and documented. Please support us on Patreon. We need your support to keep going. Just a dollar a week makes a big difference. Patreon.com slash countervortex the counter vortex. Join the resistance and rant on you next time.